You've had quite a bit of bad news lately. It's definitely cancer, and the doctors are recommending radiation. Yes, bombarding your body with radioactive particles. What can you expect? Will you glow in the dark? Do you continue to be radioactive? Hopefully you're laughing at my pretty silly statements right now because radiation is a very good treatment for cancer. Although it's highly technical, it's very successful for a lot of cancers. But I know you've got questions and yours are probably more sensible than mine. Have you ever wondered how radiation works against cancer? Especially when you've probably heard the stories about people who got cancer when they were exposed to radiation. So how will radiation work for you? What do you need to tell your radiation oncologist about the alternative treatments that you're keen on? And how do you prepare for a course of many rounds of radiation? I'd like you to meet radiation oncologist Simone Reeves. She's one of the specialists you'll meet when you've been told that your cancer will need to be shrunk or killed by a course of radiation treatment. Your radiation oncologist will meet you to take a look at your files and set up a planning session. Now, I know we possibly lost you at radiation treatment, but stay with us if you can. And the beauty of this podcast is that you can rewind and start us again from the beginning. We don't mind how many times we repeat ourselves. So, Simone, how does the radiation work to kill cancer? Probably there's a few parts to that question. Part of it is, I guess, about the way the radiation is delivered and how that targets cancer cells. But in terms of how the radiation works from a biological point of view, basically you've got high energy packets of electromagnetic radiation that are penetrating deeply into the cells of the body. And these kind of packets of radiation disrupt the function or the structure of something called DNA, which most people have heard of. But DNA is essentially like the instruction manual on the inside of a cell. And when the DNA is damaged and that cell then tries to grow or divide, it will be incapable of doing that and the cell then subsequently dies. So that's really the process that radiation uses to interrupt, I guess, the structure and function of cancer cells. It gets a little bit more complex because some of the effect of the radiation is direct. So essentially the actual packet of electromagnetic radiation passing through the cancer cell itself. Some of it is what we call indirect. In fact, about two thirds is indirect. And what that means is the radiation interacts in the fluid around the cell with the reactive oxygen species or what you would have heard of called free radicals. And then that passes into the cell and damages the DNA. And so that kind of explains, I guess, one of the things which people often ask about radiation, which is, you know, they'd like to take antioxidants or have antioxidants while they have their treatment. And that's the reason why we often warn people against doing that, because theoretically, the antioxidants actually neutralise the free radicals. And the free radicals are what are actually... They're working I guess, for you. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're kind of enhancing the effect of the radiation or ensuring that the radiation works on the tumour. So we get a little bit concerned about doing that. So that's the main way that radiation has been seen to work in the past. More recently, there's been some very interesting data coming out about how radiation interacts with what we call the tumour microenvironment, which is the tissue that tumour cells sit within, you know, the architecture within which they exist. So we know that the radiation can interact with that architecture and also with the cells. And then there's a significant interaction as well with the immune system. So radiation can have some 
enhancing effects on the immune system, some suppressing effects on the immune system, and also causes something that we call antigen release. So at the time when the radiation is delivered to the tumour, some of the tumour cells will effectively spill and their antigen or the things that essentially identify the cancer cells to the immune system are then enhanced. So the radiation causes a green light to the immune system to say, hey, here's the cancer and here's what it looks like. Come and, come you know, and, kill come it. and address it. So Fantastic. it does work in a few different ways. And some of these ways that I've explained, the things that we're kind of understanding more recently are actually allowing us to combine our treatments more and more with systemic treatments that medical oncologists would give that you know, perhaps may activate the immune system or utilise the immune system to actually target the cancers. All right, let's go and see what it's like in one of your appointments. And today we've got two radiation technicians on duty. Hi, my name's Sharon. I'm one of the therapists here and I'll be doing your treatment today. All right, it's great you're all changed into your gown now. We're just going to head down to the treatment room. Okay, so what we've got here is two treatment machines. There's the one on the left and the one on the right. They're both exactly the same, but we're going to go in this one today. Simone, who thought of using radiation on cancer? X-rays were discovered prior to 1900, so not really all that new. And radiotherapy is actually quite an old treatment, if you like, for cancer. When it was first being discovered, I guess X-rays were... People just didn't really know what they were, but observing the effect of them, they could see that, you know, when the x-rays interacted with the skin, that they caused quite a significant effect. And when there were evidence of lesions on the skin, that they could see that the radiation actually had some effect on the growth of those lesions. And so that was really, I guess, the start of understanding that radiation sources, and these were things that were physical items, if you like, outside the body, could have some impact on what happened to cells and what happened to abnormal cell growth and tumours. Of course, the understanding of oncology at that time, you know, was really in its infancy as well. So those things have kind of progressed hand in hand as time has gone on. But I think the thing that's made radiation more useful as a therapeutic technique is really all the other technology that goes along with it that allows us to modify the properties of the radiation and how it's actually delivered. And as I mentioned before, what was seen kind of around that time in history is that there was a very significant reaction on the surface of the skin. And that really limited the amount of radiation that could be given because the maximum amount of radiation was on the skin and then smaller and smaller amounts penetrating more deeply into the body. So for tumours that are deep-seated, it really wouldn't have any effect. Whereas now we have machines that are able to make sure that the radiation passes almost invisibly through the skin, right down deep into the you know, central areas of the body so we can target these deep tumours very effectively without causing damage to the structures that are sitting, you know, more superficially. So it's not just blasting right through your skin and burning a hole all the way through to the cancer? Not at all. So um, essentially the dose as we go through skin is very low and then it will peak at depth. And what we also do is treat from multiple different directions so that the dose in the kind of superficial tissues is very low. But where all these beams intersect deep in the tumour, the dose is built up in that area, so it's very, very powerful. So let's head back to our treatment. Waiting for us is radiation therapist Chris. Good morning, how are you? That's good. My name's Chris, I'm going to help Sharon today. Before we jump on a bit though, can we just grab your details? You guys are always asking for my details. We just need to check that all our details are correct. We've got the right plan loaded on our machine for the right patient. So we need to check that every day. So it's something we'll ask every day when you come through. 
So as Chris said, we need to make sure that we know who you are, but we need to make sure that we've pulled up the right record on the computer. We are going to ask every day. What sort of cancers do you use radiation for? So radiation can be used on any type of cancer, essentially, as long as it's localised. So the only things that we don't really use it for would be for example, blood-borne cancers like leukaemias. I mean, there are some applications in that area, but it's not a kind of common thing that we treat. Usually you want to be able to see a visible tumour or delineate or define a visible target that we want to actually address with the radiation in order to treat it. And radiotherapy has lots of different applications in the sense that sometimes we're treating a tumour that's intact and you can see, and we call that definitive or curative. So an example of that might be prostate cancer where we know that the tumour is in the prostate, the prostate's in the body, and then we treat it with the intention of cure. Sometimes we treat in a situation that's called adjuvant, and that means in conjunction with another treatment, and that might be commonly in conjunction with surgery. So an example of that might be breast radiotherapy, where there's a very small surgery done to remove just the tumour itself and a very small rim of healthy tissue around it. And then the remainder of the breast, which we don't believe contains any cancer cells, but we know is at risk of recurrence, is treated with radiation to reduce the chance that the cancer might ever grow back in the future. The third situation would be what we call palliative or minimising symptoms from an established but incurable cancer. And that might be for a person that has cancers in multiple different locations, but perhaps has pain or another problem resulting from one of those areas. And we just target that single area with the hope of improving their symptoms and quality of life. So if that's the case, you can't get rid of all the tumours, but you could certainly shrink them to make life easier with the tumour. Yeah, so we, we basically just focus on those areas where there are symptoms arising. And the idea is to keep the treatment short and with minimal side effects to make sure the balance is good between quality of life. So you'll find in that context when we're managing symptoms that the number of treatments will probably be a lot less. And the side effects we would expect would be a lot less as compared to the first example I gave where we might be trying to cure a cancer, for example, a head and neck cancer. The number of treatments will be quite long and the intensity and the side effects of the treatment would be, you know, potentially quite significant. Do you think radiation is less intimidating than chemotherapy? It's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people, even though, you know, the thought of chemotherapy is quite scary, I think people are often quite frightened of radiotherapy as well because it is quite a strange and unusual thing. You know, often people have experience with family members or friends who've had treatment potentially even a long time ago, 10 or 15, 20 years ago, when things were quite different as well. So things have changed a lot. You just can't take someone else's advice on how your treatment is going to go. There's a lot of different radiation treatments. The use of radiation differs quite significantly depending on what type of cancer you have, what is the goal of treatment, what is the area that we're treating, how many treatments do we expect to have, what the total dose of treatment is. That will affect the person's experience of going through treatment and what the side effects and recovery and everything else is likely to be. So it's difficult to kind of say just on a general basis, well, what are the side effects of radiation or what should someone expect? Because it really depends on all of those things. So I think the radiation oncologist is really to explain the treatment that's being proposed explain what the options are, if any, because sometimes there will be options and sometimes there won't really be options. I think it's important for the doctor to also explain what the goals of treatment are. So, you know, is this treatment given with the intention of curing a cancer? Is it a risk-reducing treatment? Is it a symptom-improving treatment? And then explain carefully what the logistics of the treatment planning and delivery process are going to look like. 
and what the potential side effects are going to be. And it's important to understand that with radiotherapy, there can be two types of side effects. One of them are what we call acute or early side effects, and those are things that happen during the course of treatment. Those things happen for the majority of patients to some extent, and they're usually mild to moderate in severity, and they relate to the inflammation that occurs inside the body as a result of treatment. And they can be kind of troublesome or, you know, bothersome, but they typically tend not to be particularly severe, although it does depend on, as I said, the location and the amount of treatment that's being given. So the doctor should be able to explain, you know, in some detail what that's going to look like and when those side effects might occur and what kind of supportive care is going to be recommended. And what you should be looking out for, it was explained to me, looking for redness or maybe some blisters. Yeah, and look, certainly I think at the initial consultation, all of this information can be extremely overwhelming. What I normally explain to people is that as we go through the course of treatment, we have weekly appointments. And at each time interval, you know, we can talk about what to expect in the upcoming week, what might be normal, what might not be normal, what to notify about, what's okay, and how to actually look after some of those side effects if they do occur or what kind of supportive care treatments we might be recommending. So it's not necessary for people to know everything all at once or remember all of that. You know, we can go through week by week and take that journey together. And then the same thing after treatment, you know, those early side effects take a while to resolve, can be somewhere in the order of three to six weeks, depending on what type of treatment's been given. And again, you know, we would continue to see people throughout that time to make sure that they do have appropriate supportive care for whatever difficulties they're facing, that things are, you know, within expected levels and that there's not something unusual going on. And that recovery occurs, you know, in a way that we anticipate. So then I guess the next thing is that Radiotherapy can also cause some delayed or late side effects. And typically those are things that might happen three months or more down the track after treatment and relate to the body's healing process and scarring, I guess, after radiotherapy. You do get that similarly to how you might if you had surgery or other treatments. You know, that process does occur. And it can cause physical symptoms or functional impairments in some cases. Again, they can be of ranging severity from something very mild through to something, you know, very severe or potentially life-threatening. So it's good to have a good understanding of what kind of things we might be looking at before one decides if one wants to undertake treatment. We do see people regularly after treatment to, you know, check and monitor for those things and we can essentially kind of discuss them as they arise down the track. Certainly in the space of managing what we call late effects or those delayed side effects of radiotherapy is there isn't a great deal of research available in that area. So whilst some people might suggest various things for managing some of those problems or you know perhaps preventing some of those problems, we don't have really good data to tell us that that's actually the right thing to do. So I guess that's a little bit tricky. We do know some of the things that possibly aren't the right thing to do and we can talk to you know individual patients about those where they're relevant. One of the things that I guess comes to mind there is smoking. You know, smoking is a really bad idea after all kinds of cancer treatment, really. But, um, you know, we know in particular scenarios, there can be interactions where that's really problematic. For example, if there's a risk of a second cancer involving the lung, ongoing smoking is a real problem. For some of those scarring changes, smoking can be a real problem. Certainly from a cancer recurrence point of view, smoking can be a problem. So, I mean, smoking is obviously a really obvious one and should be avoided, but There are a few situations in which those kind of discussions are relevant and where we do have data to support those recommendations, we do. But it is important to understand that radiotherapy can have those longer lasting implications because typically, even though they are much less common than the early side effects, 
when they do occur, they're permanent and they tend to be progressive. So they are a really important thing to understand in terms of implications for future symptoms and function and quality of life. So there's a few things I suppose you have to be aware of while you're undergoing radiation. I mean, for example, do you need to stay out of the sun? Again, you know, there's not a lot of data in the area, but first principles would tell us that if we're having a treatment where there's any impact on the skin and the skin is potentially sensitive, that any further environmental insults to the skin should be avoided. So not all treatments are going to have an impact on skin. Breast treatments, for example, particularly after a mastectomy where we're specifically treating the skin, would be an example of a type of situation where I would advise people either during or after treatment to avoid additional damage to those tissues. Sometimes when we treat those areas, we do treat base of the neck and that area can be commonly exposed to the sun. So that's something I do talk to patients quite a bit about, advise them, you know, what type of sunscreens to use and that that skin ideally needs to be protected. And what are the possible risk to other people in your family? Is there any reason why you should stay away from close contact? Are you radioactive after your treatment? It really depends what kind of treatment has been given. So here we only offer external beam radiotherapy and that means it's delivered on a linear accelerator. And the radiation is essentially only present at the time when the machine's turned on. It's like a torch. You turn it on, you see the light, the radiation's present, you turn it off, the radiation's gone. And that's why when you have your treatment, you'll be the only person in the room while the machine's turned on. But before and afterwards, the therapist will be in there with you, setting you up and helping you and at the completion. In that kind of context, there's absolutely no risk to any person that you come into context with because essentially as soon as the machine's turned off, the radiation is gone and it's no longer present in your body. It doesn't need to work through your body or out of your body or anything like that. It's just completely gone. The time actually taken for the radiation is usually pretty quick. The machine is generally on for less than a minute each time and it depends on how many times it has to turn on for your particular plan but yeah, it's not a very long period of time at all. Sue, so you can't stay with me during treatment? We have to go because we do this all day every day so while it would technically be okay for us to be in the room we can't stay for every patient so we have to leave the room while the radiation's on. There are quite a few different kinds of radiation treatment. Other types of radiation are different. So, for example, when we talk about brachytherapy, that uses external sources or actual physical items that emit the radiation from them. And those things are always active. And so when we're giving brachytherapy treatments, those sources are kept in lead containers to limit their, I guess, impact on anyone in the surrounding area. But when they're actually in the body, they're very powerfully emitting radiation. So If those sources are put into the body and then retracted again and put back into the lead container, as soon as you leave, no, you're fine. But if those sources are permanently implanted into the body, such as in prostate cancer, you might have 120 permanent radioactive seeds in the prostate. In that situation, yes, there can be implications for the people around you. So you'd be given particular instructions about that. Generally, the power of those sources decreases over time. So it might be an issue for the first part of time, but then after you've had them in your body for some weeks and then months and years, the impact is less and less. And then the other type is radioactive sources that are injected as liquids into the body. So that that would be the type of thing that might be used for thyroid cancer. And depending on the scenario, again, yes, the fluids that your body excretes could be radioactive. And usually when that's the case, you'll be asked to stay in hospital for several days until the risk has passed. From what I can understand, you only get one go at radiation treatment? Yes and no. Essentially, the way that radiotherapy treatment is designed is that 
We look at the amount of radiation dose that the tumour requires to get the desired effect. And then we look at the amount of radiation that the surrounding normal tissues can tolerate. And sometimes there will be trade-offs that need to be made there and sometimes there's no issues. But typically we'll be giving treatments that are going really right to the border of what the normal tissues can tolerate. And that's why we typically say radiation is only given once. But when we say that, we mean that it's only given once on any particular location. So for example, if you've had breast treatment in the past and then you are unlucky to have another area elsewhere in the body, that other area could be treated, but the breast can't be retreated. There are some caveats to that as well. So if a long time has passed in between the initial treatment and the tissues of the body are healthy, sometimes we do retreat an area, but we do that very carefully and it's not something that we would routinely recommend. And talking about breast cancer, if you do have radiation for breast cancer, it limits your reconstruction possibilities as well, doesn't it? Look, it can do, but I think the most important thing is that all of these discussions need to be had right at the start and all of the options that are available to someone need to be quite clearly delineated. And I guess then the implications of those decisions in terms of possible side effects and so forth. It's certainly possible to have a reconstruction and have radiotherapy on the breast or the reconstructed breast. And there are a few different options in regards to how it's done, but there can be certain situations in which you might be left without options. And it's best not to end up in that scenario. And the best way to ensure that that doesn't happen is that all of the members of the trading team and the consumer or patient is able to discuss freely right at the start what their goals are and what they're hoping for in terms of their outcomes, reconstructions. And I guess also sometimes there's some trade-offs that need to be made between potentially contemplating what the, the difficulties or problems can be and the side effects of treatment compared to what might be lost in terms of cancer control if the treatments aren't undertaken. So You know, sometimes that's a delicate balance and it just requires open communication and time for people to work through those questions at the start. Tell me a little bit about the appointments because you're expected to go to a big planning appointment and that can sometimes be a bit overwhelming because suddenly you're getting measured and laid out on a table and you get your first tattoo for a lot of people. So the appointments essentially, the first one is what we would term the initial consultation and that's where We gather all the relevant information and we speak to all of the specialists in the treatment team beforehand and then sit down with the patient and talk about the history of what's happened. Generally, there'll be an examination, a review of any of the scans and other information, and then we'll talk about the treatment plan, you know, what is the recommended plan and what the other options might be. And once someone's decided that they do want to proceed with radiation, that's when the planning appointment comes in. And that appointment's really crucial because it collects all of the information that we need to put together to actually tailor and individualise a radiation plan for an individual patient. So even though the general approach will be the same for, say, each person that has breast cancer or each person that has lung cancer or any type of cancer, in terms of the dose and the areas we would cover, the actual way that we develop it and the way the plan looks will be completely individualised based on that person's anatomy and also that person's tumour location size and everything else. And we use all that information that's gathered at the planning session, as well as all the information that we bring in from the other tests and surgeries and scans that they've had to actually make sure that that person's treatment is perfect for them. The appointment where we need to do all the planning for your radiotherapy. So we're going to be taking all the measurements that we need and also working out 
what setup works best for you and the treatment that we want to deliver for your particular treatment site. What sort of information do you get about a patient before they come in? The oncologist will give us the treatment site that they want to deliver some treatment to and they'll also give us the dose and the amount of treatments that they wanted to deliver. Those factors will generally decide how we would like to set you up and what measurements and extra information we need to take during that planning session and that's how it will sort of decide our course moving forward. During that planning session, once we're happy with your setup and that we've got all the information we need, then we do proceed to that CT scan and we take a quick scan to have a look at our scan limits and make sure that we've got everything we need within that scan. And then it'll just be like any other CT scan that will take the images of exactly where we need for the radiotherapy planning. So for some people when they come in, the doctor likes to draw in their skin around the area that they want to treat, particularly for breast patients or other patients that might have something on their skin that you can see. So they can draw those marks on in pencil, but the CT scan can't see the pencil. So then what we do is put on little wires that are basically over the top of those pencil marks and then they show up on our scan. And then the weirdest thing, which is the tattoos, which are little dots. Yeah, I'm not artistic enough for anything else. So essentially so that we can translate that information over to when you come for your treatment. We need to make a few of those marks permanent. So for some people, it might be two, three, four, depends on each site. And they are just tiny little black pinpricks, tiny little black tattoo dots. But that first appointment can be quite a long one. It can take up to an hour or sometimes even longer, particularly if we're undertaking a very highly technical treatment that involves management of breathing motion, for example, or very kind of high dose treatment or high precision treatment, it's going to take longer. For very simple things, it's quick, might be 10 or 15 minutes. And as you say, generally within that appointment, there'll be some physical marks made on the body with a washable texture. There'll be some wires often placed on those marks, and that might be over scars or other things that don't usually show up well on a scan. A lot of measurements taken, a number of tattoos, but they look like tiny little freckles, like what you would see on your hand. So generally, they're not too problematic. And then we acquire the scan and all of that information then goes inside the computer to help prepare the treatment. It's pretty high tech. Yes, and I guess that's the other thing that kind of comes to mind because I think often people are a little bit surprised as to why their treatment can't start straight away. And that's because of all the processes that I alluded to earlier. There's a lot of work that goes on in the background. We actually draw on the scans all of the normal organs, all of the areas where the tumour is all of the areas that are at risk of having tumour in them. We need to apply margins for uncertainties. And then all of that body of work is provided to the planning staff who then do the tailoring and individualising of the treatment for every individual patient. And so that process can take a couple of weeks. To give you an idea about breast treatment, historically the way it was done was all based on the clinical markings that were done at the planning appointment and standard recommendations around the directions that the radiotherapy should be placed as a result of that. And so then things have evolved to be more sophisticated. So we have the CAT scan and we can actually calculate the dose on those scans, which means we can make sure that it's very, very even across the breast and that it covers all the areas that we need to. So that means the treatment is more effective and less side effects than it would have been in the past. And then as you alluded to, we can see the normal organs. So for breast, that is the heart and the lung. We can calculate the exact dose to those structures. We can calculate and determine whether we think that that's safe or you know, desirable, undesirable. The other thing that we can do now is incorporate the breathing motion into treatment. So typically for a left-sided breast tumour, we would do a technique called deep inspiration breath hold, and that involves asking patients to take a big breath in and hold that breath for as long as they can. 
we acquire the scan in that position, what it does is it moves the heart back and down away from the area we need to treat and drastically reduces the amount of dose to the heart to cover the same amount of breast tissue. For the treatment, send patients watch an iPad, which shows you a trace of their breathing motion based on a transponder that's on the upper abdomen. And so they can actually see a bar that moves from expiration to inspiration and it turns green when we get into the area where we'd like them to hold their breath for treatment. So as they breathe in, they see the bar rise. As soon as it gets into the green zone, they know that they can hold their breath when they're ready. And then the machine won't actually turn on to deliver treatment until that has occurred. It really allows us to gate the radiotherapy into only certain phases of breathing, which, as I said, greatly reduces the amount of heart dose and the expected potential complications in terms of heart disease in the future. Okay, let's get back to those tattoos. Remember you got them during your planning session? So those little tattoo dots, they are quite tiny, as you've probably found, and um, we generally find a lot of people struggle to find them after the, the actual planning session is completed. So what we do within the treatment room is we will be turning the lights down because we've got some little laser lights that help us to be able to line you up nice and straight. So we just outline those tattoos with a little bit of texture each day just to make them a little bit easier for us to see so that we can see them when the lights go off. One of the really good hints that I got from another patient was make sure and especially if it's uh, you're having radiation of the breast is wear a really old tatty bra because the lines don't come off before you put your undies back on. Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend to our women that they use their not their bestest bras because they do end up with that tinge of blue generally by the end of it. We do need to be able to see your little tattoo dots so that we can set you up in the right position, but as long as you're comfortable with it, we're okay with it. Do you find there are some common problems people experience? Something that people find a little difficult, the actual treatment room is quite cool. So when you've got half your body exposed, it can feel a little bit cold, particularly if you've got a more prolonged treatment that might be 15 or 20 minutes. Or, for example, our very high precision treatments can go for 40, 45 minutes at a time. There's not a lot we can do about that because it's really a, the machines need to be kept cool <laughs> so yes. that they, they don't malfunction and overheat. But I think for most people, that's kind of the hardest thing. Chris, you're not in the room with us. So how do we know the treatments going ahead and it's safe. We check everything on the first day and we're having a look every day to make sure that you're completely safe while you're having that treatment and to make sure that the machine is going to move to the required angles without posing any risk to yourself or to the actual equipment. While we're not in the room with you, we both have cameras and microphone the whole time so we can see and hear you the whole time so there wouldn't ever be an issue. Simone, your patients are very committed to curing their cancer and often radiation is the last leg of their treatment. When should you be asking for help? It's better not to be too stoic because certainly we're anticipating that there are going to be side effects during treatment and, you know, they may not just be physical things. There can be a lot of emotional changes and spiritual concerns and also practical things that come up during treatment and a lot of those things we can actually help with. So if people don't really tell us, then we can't really help. So I always try and encourage my patients to tell me everything. There's no problem with telling me something that turns out to be irrelevant, I don't mind. And I think that the best possible way to help support people through treatment is to make sure that their supportive care and symptom management is increased in a stepwise fashion as they develop potentially symptoms or side effects from the treatment. So what we want to try and avoid is leaving something until it becomes quite unbearable. Then it becomes very hard to get on top of. If we just do small stepwise changes along the way as things increase, it really allows us to keep a much better control over the whole situation and you know makes people a lot more comfortable not only physically but I guess in terms of the whole process so 
Really, the way things work is that we have, if you like, a chain of command kind of arrangement. So patients will see the radiation therapist every single day. Generally, they'll ask them how they are. If there's any issue whatsoever or they want to bring up any concerns, they can do that. And then if it's not something the radiation therapists feel that they can manage, they'll refer to the nursing staff and then the nursing staff will do an assessment. And if they feel like they need assistance, then they will contact the junior medical staff and then they will do an assessment. And if they feel like they need an assistance, they will contact the senior medical staff. So typically that's kind of the way it works. And I guess that works fairly well in that, firstly, it allows kind of training of staff through the department to learn how to deal with some of the matters that crop up. Not everything needs intervention from the radiation oncologist. And of course, the radiation oncologist isn't available to deal with every single matter that comes through the door. Again, some of the things that are referred through to nursing after further evaluation might be more appropriate for some of our other key staff, dietitian, social work, speech pathology. So they really act like a triaging kind of point, I guess, to make sure that, you know, the person sees the most appropriate staff member for whatever their needs are. I can bring the bed down. That's great. How was that? Okay? Bed's just coming down now. There we are. You can sit up there now. So that's some of what to expect if you're about to undertake radiation oncology. Your radiation technicians for this session were Chris Hoyne and Sharon Gibbs, and your radiation oncologist, Simone Reeves. I'm a radiation oncologist. I work at Ballarat Austin Radiation Oncology Centre, which is actually located in the Ballarat Regional Integrated Cancer Centre, which is part of Ballarat Health Services. But I'm employed and the radiation service is provided by Austin Health. And we wanted to take the time to share with you some of the experiences of our cancer survivors. I wish I'd known more about the treatment and its effects. And I wish I'd known probably the most useful piece of information I got was from another family member who'd had cancer. And she said to me, every day throughout your treatment, find one bright spark in the day. For example, when you're going through radiotherapy, go and have a coffee with a friend, go shopping, make treatment part of what you have to do, but not the focus of your day. So by the end of my treatment, I was doing that so much easier. Just how much it actually impacts your entire life. Like I'm four and a half years and I'm still not back to the way I was. Prostrate. When I was diagnosed, it didn't shock me or shudder me. I just, I just knew that it was treatable. In the radiation treatment, the one thing that helped me through it, not only did, like I had my wife there with me, the one thing that helped me was the nurse. She, she was my personal nurse and she set me up on the radiation machine. When she left the room, I was there fine. When the radiation was finished, she came back in, she was always there for me. Halfway through the treatment, I got very, very sick, um, which is apparently normal. <laughs> Halfway through the treatment, I couldn't go on the bus that day. I come in, she said, my God, look at you, get your gown on, you're next. I said, no, I've got to go and see the nurse first and see that this thing's not blown up. It turned out that I was eating vegetables and I wasn't supposed to. I was supposed to eat high carbs, spuds, bread and butter, pasta, etc. One feed of pasta, exit problem. Yeah, it has changed my way of life. I'm not 
quite free that I'm still alive. <laughs> Our partners in this podcast are so important and we could not have accomplished the Cancer Survivor Guide without them. Grampians Integrated Cancer Services and the Health Issue Centre, consumer voices for a better health care. I'm Penny Johnston and I hope you found this Cancer Survivor Guide helpful.